This week on Center Stage, I am joined by Christy Clark, who is currently running for office for the NC State House. And I know that you guys probably don't care, but I feel like I need to say it anyway. This episode is not an endorsement of her. Uh, Me personally, I don't live in the district where I would even be able to vote for her, I don't believe. So um, just wanted to clear that up. But I did want to have her on because I think that she provides a lot of really good, valuable insight that I explain um, in the introduction of the show. Okay, so hope we're all good there. Let's jump into it. This is Center Stage, putting your firm in the spotlight by highlighting business owners and other industry experts to help take your firm to the next level. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Center Stage. I am your host, John Henson, and this week we're talking politics. All right, now, before you get uncomfortable, uh, this is a totally different angle. We're not going to get into any sort of Democrat versus Republican, uh, you know, platforms or anything like that. Um, but most of our lawyer or, uh, audience out there are lawyers, and at least in my experience, just what I've seen and observed, uh, it seems like people in the legal industry tend to be the ones who are running for office most often. And so I wanted to have an episode all about just the various challenges or obstacles that arise for the people who either uh, run their own firm or work in a law firm, uh, and you know, just kind of how they balance running for a local or a state office. And so my guest this week, has lived this. She has had this experience and she's about to go through it again. Uh, And she has graciously agreed to join us and share her experience. And that is Christy Clark. Christy, thank you so much for joining us. Yes. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So uh, real quick before we jump in, you know, what is your background? Um, You know, kind of what were you doing before you decided to run for office? Yeah, I've been a lot of things over the years, but recently my my day job has been a paralegal. I work at a law firm um, that my husband and I founded together, and um, you know it's we're business and corporate law, trademarks, and intellectual property is where we put our focus, and we focus a lot on helping small businesses get their you know documents in order as they launch their business, so they do everything you know by the law. Yeah. And, you know, Chris, her husband was actually one of the early guests on Center Stage. Uh, And so uh, if you want to check out his episode, I think it's, I mean, God, it was one of the first 10 or 20 episodes that we did. And so he was really good to have on. So kind of the first question I have for you, because, you know, I really want to start at the very beginning, because, you know, in my mind, I kind of imagine there are people out there who they're interested in running for office but maybe they don't really know kind of where to start. So how did you initially decide or make that decision to run for office? And then what did you need to do in order to get all of that in motion? Right. You know, um, I have, you know, some issues that I'm very passionate about that um, are directly legislative for by the ledgers in the General Assembly. And so I knew when I was thinking about running for office, I knew I couldn't run for town board or county commission or school board because those issues weren't handled at those levels. And so that kind of pointed me in the direction of the General Assembly. And I had really had no idea what I was getting into when I decided to run for office at all. The first thing I did was go to the State Board of Elections webpage and you have to um, form a committee and get a bank account and get a treasurer and do all those things. Before you can even get started, it has to be done right away so that you're in compliance with the law. And then I looked around for organizations that sponsor training, particularly for women running for office and attended a bunch of those to kind of get the general idea of what was gonna happen to our campaign. You know, it gave me the 35,000 foot view really 
but you know, it's, it's a lot different when you're on the ground doing it, but it gave me a scope of what might happen. And that's kind of how I got started. So now you mentioned um, you had to have a committee, you had to have, like you said, a treasurer. I'm, I'm assuming that you have to have other people, you know, kind of on your team to do this. You can't hold all of these positions. So like how many people do you have to have sort of in your corner in order to make this happen? You know, in order to, to launch, you really just need yourself and a treasurer and your treasurer cannot be your spouse and it cannot be you. Or I guess it can be in circumstance. The state legislature, it has to be somebody else. Um, but um, you have to have at least two people um, for a campaign that like I've run. I've run very high profile, high competitive uh, races and districts that were tight. Um, and so I needed to have a staff of other people. So I've also had a campaign manager, a field manager, a bunch of volunteers and interns and, you know, around, you know, in the hundreds in the volunteers category um, to do that when I'm running in a race that's super competitive and requires to raise a lot of money and also reach a lot of voters. Got it. So, all right. So you got everything set up, you started your campaign and at the same time, or at least prior to starting your campaign, I know you were doing a lot of paralegal work with, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you and your husband and law firm. How did you balance your campaign duties with your other job duties? Like how much does running a campaign take away, if at all, from your regular job duties? Yeah. So in the beginning, I really tried to maintain um, my role as a paralegal with Chris um, as much as I could. But as the campaign accelerated and it, it became a, more obvious that I was going to be at meetings at 7 a.m. until 8 p.m. at night. And in between there, I need to be raising money and calling voters and everything. I had to step away pretty much from my job and dedicate it to this race. That is not true for every campaign. Just my campaigns that I have run have been in super competitive um, districts. And that means that it requires a lot more energy than other ones. If you're running in a district where it is red or blue, whichever style the aisle you're on, and it's not competitive, that isn't necessary. That much energy and time isn't necessary. It just depends on what sort of district you're running in. Mm. So then, I mean, and so then let's talk about, you know, because, you know, you talk about you're in a lot of high profile races. Um, You know, you ran uh, for a state house, I believe was what it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. You know, I obviously I think, you know, in the mainstream, especially, you know, for, I guess, regular people like me and and kind of what we see, uh, especially as it gets closer to voting day, you see a lot of ads out there. Things can get messy. You know, Mm -hmm. how can someone sort of minimize the, the effect of like maybe a lot of negative attack ads on the firm's reputation, because I mean, you know, you're still operating a law firm, working in a law firm, and you still have to, you know, that's still your job. That's still your source of revenue. And if your opponent out there is, you know, generating ads or, you know, criticizing you, making you look bad, that can have negative effects down the road. How do you, you know, how do you minimize those or how do you, you know, sort of, I guess, reduce the effect that those sorts of things have on your livelihood? Yeah, I mean, the first thing they tell you and when you're running for office, we tell you two things. One is make sure your family's on board. The second thing is like, if there's any secrets, they're all going to come out. And so you have to be prepared for that in advance. Like know that if you have some outstanding issue with a client and it's public, like a bar complaint or something like that, I don't get those, but attorneys do, um, that, that could be made public. Or if there's a bad Yelp review or a bad Google review of you, you know, those will definitely come out if those exist out in the world. And so mitigating those by cleaning up your 
data profile on social media and on the internet is the the first place to start. Just you know, just to make sure that there's nothing strange out there, or you know, disgruntled person who's being snarky and has really no basis. And get rid of all that stuff. I didn't really have any of that stuff out there, but um, you know, sometimes you do. You know, as business owners, yeah. that's what happens. It's natural. So that's the first thing. Is just wit- mitigate it and get it. You know, as much and get out in front of it as much as you can first. Yeah. And, and honestly, that should probably be something that you proactively start doing before you ever begin mm-hmm. to run, you know, is just to make sure that, you know, at least you know, broadly speaking, you have a good reputation in the community that there's not a lot of complaints out there about you. I mean, you're not going to make everybody happy, but yeah, I mean, I, I, we see it every election cycle, somebody digs something up that, mm-hmm. and it's like, you had to have known, right? Like you had, so I, I don't understand how, you know, even some people forget that or overlook it, but, um, yeah. you know, let's say then that you ultimately end up winning your race, which you did. You mm-hmm. won, um, your election was it 2016, 2018, 2018, 2018. Yeah. So you won your, your campaign. How then would that affect, uh, your business, you know, whether it's someone who is running their law firm, in your case, someone who is working in that law firm and holds a lot of responsibilities in that law firm, you know, like what happens in that situation? Does, do they have to close the firm down, you know, so that you can work full-time in your newly elected office? What's the balance like there? You know, what happens? Yeah, those are great questions. Um, for me personally, um, Chris went ahead and hired a new paralegal because he knew I wasn't going to have time to be there because the General Assembly in North Carolina is in session usually from Monday through Thursday. And you have to be in Raleigh. You have to be there all day, every day. There's not a lot of time to do a real job, so to speak, or your day job or the job that pays the bills because the General Assembly does not pay the bills um, to do that. So you have to be really able to work that into your schedule up there. So the attorneys that I know that um, I'm close with that are still serving, they would be in the General Assembly in their office or in their hotel room, you know, early, early 5 a.m., doing legal work for their, their clients and then come to the general assembly and go to committee meetings and session and then leave and go back to their hotel room and continue work for their clients into the evening, because there's not a lot of time during the day there between you have committee meetings and meetings with lobbyists and, and concerned citizens and phone calls and session and session can be anywhere from, you know, one hour to 12 hours. It just, you just don't know. So you have to really be opening your mind up to, I'm going to have to work way outside of what I've normally been doing. Like there's no nine to five anymore. That's all gone. Wow. Yeah. So then I guess on the opposite side of that, whether you lose the election or maybe, you know, you decide to step down, you know, or you don't seek reelection, whatever the case is. Cause I mean, you know, the, the majority of people do not become career politicians. I don't think. So then how do you, how do you get back into it then? You know, you know, what, what kind of, what have you seen in terms of like, you know, people getting back into their, their quote unquote old day job, for example, Mm -hmm. how does that, what does that end up looking like? Yeah. um, The attorneys that I have known have done that have done that have um, been very excited to get back to private practice and have (laughs) that control of their schedule and the control of their timeline. And they were, and they also care about their clients and they wanted to be able to spend as much time with them and put all that energy into, you know, helping those particularly ones that are, you know, in litigation type situations. And so they, you know, they were excited about it. Um, After I lost in 2020, I took the year off to kind of clear my head and figure out what 
what direction I wanted to go in. And I knew public service was a place for me. And if I couldn't be serving in the general assembly, I had to find something else. And so now I'm working in a school because I needed to be somewhere where I was giving back to the community. And that's, that's what is important to me and fills my bucket as they say. So that's, that's what I did. Cool. So, so, so I guess what's, what's something that maybe you didn't expect going in? Like you got, you got into Raleigh and you got there and then you were like, Whoa, this is, you know, this is a shock. You know, what's, what's something that, you know, maybe you didn't see coming once you got up in, uh, into your office? Gosh, a lot of things. Um, the main thing really was the amount of time that everything takes, you know, there's, mm-hmm. um, committee meetings can be fast. It can be slow. It's all depending on the chair of the committee. Um, sessions can, you can go to session, you can gavel out, you can be in a recess for hours, come back later. And in between there, you can't really leave. You have to be around in case, you know, get called back into session. So things like that, just the schedule there is a different, the general assembly schedule is vastly different than the rest of the world. And that, that was an adjustment period for me. And also nothing starts on time with the general assembly. So if you go to a committee meeting, it's supposed to be at nine, you're going to stand around for 10 minutes waiting for everybody else to trickle in. That drives me crazy because I like to be on time. So, you know, there's things like that, that were, you know, nothing ever starts on time with the general assembly. So it's not, it's not that much different than, than everyday life, apparently. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I had, yeah. None of our meetings start on time either. Um, no. So you know, and, and kind of the last question I have, and this is just me being curious personally, you know, we, we get this sort of perception uh, from people in office, from the media, just about how, you know, it just seems like, you know, and, and you mentioned it, it take, things take a long time to mm-hmm. accomplish. Is there something that maybe the media or just people in general have a very big misconception of? just because we're not, we're not fully aware of what's actually going on. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, all the bills that make the news are the ones that are high profile. They're a controversial issue. There's something where heads are budding and it makes the media and there's press conferences and releases and all these things. And those are teeny tiny amount of bills that get passed or heard in the general assembly. 90% of the bills are not controversial and they are unanimous. And so you don't, they don't talk about that. They only talk about the ones where it's, you know, the the infighting and the grind and everything. And some of that, of course, that happens because, you know, we're on two different sides of the aisle. We have varying opinions on things, of course. But generally speaking, most of the time, there is not a controversial bill. It passes unanimously with both sides of the aisle agreeing almost all the time. And so people, you never hear about that. And so that's something I think is a detriment to the situation um, because, the controversial part is really, really small. Really yeah, small. no, that that is actually really surprising because you know, especially in North Carolina where we are, oftentimes it's a swing state. And so I've just kind of had this impression that just like, there's always fighting. No one can ever agree on anything. Nothing ever yeah. gets done. Mm-hmm. But that is actually really encouraging to hear that like, no, for the most part, it sounds like people actually do work together and mm-hmm. get along. Yeah. And it's just those one or two things, as is the case everywhere yeah. where you require a lot of extra debate. Well, this has been really enlightening. Uh, I I feel like I've learned quite a bit. Um, You know, hopefully people out there, if they've been considering uh, potentially running for local or state office, that they're a little bit, uh, they feel a little bit better about doing so. Um, So one last question I have uh, before we wrap up here uh, that I ask everybody, and that is uh, if you had one final piece of advice for our lawyers and the rest of our audience out there, what would it be? 
Oh, uh, yeah. So um, we'll put it in the frame or in the context of people who might want to run for office one day, whether it's for judge or, you know, general assembly or town board or mayor or whatever, do it. Don't wait. Go for it. Jump right in with both feet. Um, everyone is vastly qualified to serve in public service. Everyone is. It doesn't matter what you do. If you're a pharmacist, a nurse, a teacher, a lawyer, a paralegal, whatever, everyone is qualified to serve and don't be intimidated thinking, oh, it has to be the lawyer that graduated from Yale and has a master's from Harvard and went here and did that and served with, you know, in the DC or whatever. It doesn't have to be any of that. It can, you can just be a regular person and serve your community um, by getting elected. So awesome. Love it. Yeah. I, I, truthfully, I might look into it. I've always had just like a passing curiosity about it, but I've never really taken a deep dive and looked into it. And so it's something that I might actually look into now. Uh, Christy, this has been really insightful. I really do appreciate you taking the time uh, to join us. Uh, That is going to do it for us this week here on Center Stage. Continue to rate, review us, subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're consuming the show. We're all over the place. And I know you you know that as well. That's going to do it. Christy, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening. To learn more, go to spotlightbranding.com slash center stage.